0: off we go what is going on guys and welcome to episode 10 of the listen whilst you step podcast and today we're very lucky we have a very special guest on we have kit Shamia, who is a fully qualified nutritionist and we're going to go through some uh, very interesting topics all to go uh, over nutrition like lots of different things um so we're going to talk about some some pretty um topics as well I think uh, be interesting but I'm going to leave it over to Kit to do a little bit of an introduction about himself. Um, welcome on mate.
1: Thanks for having me Simon, thanks for having me on. This is a good little show you're going to get going here, we'll get people moving, they can listen to us wherever they go. It's uh, ideal. Yeah, exactly, all the steps. <laughs> all the steps every day. So yeah, So um, my name is Kit Shammy, I'm a registered sport and exercise nutritionist. Uh, I work in Jersey Um, in a small clinic called Bond Street Health with some other registered practitioners and we essentially um, sort people's food out so whether it's for general health or sporting performance you come in and you see us one-to-one in the clinic and we work with you change that lifestyle get the habits in place and um, yeah get the results that you want and it kind of all came about from uni really so I I was doing an undergrad in sports coaching so we covered all the topics like biomechanics, kinesiology, psychology, coaching, obviously, but also nutrition. And um, our nutrition lecturer at the time was the All Blacks nutritionist and the Crusaders nutritionist. So yeah, he was very cool, very cool to kind of be around. And I just kind of touched, it resonated with me a bit, you know, it kind of made me think, oh, that would be quite cool to do. So then I came back to the UK and did a master's just in sport and exercise nutrition. And from there, it just kind of snowballed. So the usual route to go from that um, degree is to go into like an elite sport and go and work with a team. So go to like a premiership team, uh, rugby or football or any any sport really, or go and work with Olympic athletes. But because um, I wanted to come back to Jersey, that limited my opportunities there. <laughs> uh, but it away. also, yeah, yeah. So you're the elite of Jersey, um, aren't you?
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that.
1: <laughs> So we, uh, I ended up just kind of setting up practice where it was um, obviously helping all the local athletes and um, local people with general health and realizing that there wasn't actually anyone else in private practice who was registered. And so things have snowballed and here we are seven years later um, doing podcasts and still practicing and now in a, in a kind of nutrition specific clinic. So it's been a, a pretty fun few years, I have to say.
0: Yeah, for sure. Things are just like blossom big time. I remember when you first started things out. Um, I think my mate Johnny went to see you and like, you didn't really have that many clients. And now you've got your own practice and lots of people around you and things are like super cool to see. Um, so let's just kind of jump into the first sort of thing. I want to kind of touch on something which is gonna be mainly based around the kind of client, my clientele listening to this most of the listeners, it's gonna be people who the main kind of goal is kind of body composition, dropping a little bit of body fat, gaining a little bit of muscle, and what would be the sort of processes if someone came into you with those goals you would go through? Where would you start and then where would you go from there with that?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Obviously, one you want to get right from the beginning, particularly if you're combining it with exercise. Mm-hmm. So the, the the best, the most obvious thing and free thing you can do without even coming in to see us is actually to start tracking your food. And that might be as simple as like a descriptive food diary where you just drop down what you're having without even worrying about kind of grams and weighing everything. Uh, but obviously the more detail you have, the more, uh, you can progress that and extend that to, to get the results you need. So keeping a food diary is absolutely like one of the best easiest things someone can do. Um, and that's what we would get someone to do if they came to see us. So they would go away and they would do a food diary, which we could then analyze. We'd get them to put as much detail on there as we could. So we can then uh, critique it and essentially then work that food around to whatever their goals might be. And so you'll start, you know, noticing that people will start being more mindful. They'll start second guessing some decisions that perhaps weren't the healthiest decisions. And the, the kind of calories in versus calories out balance starts to get a bit more on their side, particularly if it's weight loss. Mm. So that getting their calories right is fundamentally the thing we want to do with them not that we're telling everyone to go away in calorie count, but we can manage that ourselves by giving you the goals and the smart swaps and saying, look, change this and have that instead. And suddenly there's a hundred calories disappeared because that's a lower fat product or that's a lower sugar product.
0: Yeah. On so that. it's a bit of,
1: I yeah, think it's a bit super, of management really.
0: I think it's super interesting there. That I think a lot of people will go straight into, I have to track my calories. Everything has to be super accurate. But like you said, I think even just by writing down the foods you eat, just like descriptive, not necessarily the grams and the calories, just being that little bit more mindful about what's actually going into your body and seeing it written down on a piece of paper, nine times out of 10, people go, oh, I didn't realize I was actually necessarily eating that much. I think people just jump in too deep to start with.
1: Yeah. And there's, a, there's another kind of like conversation on that where people get too obsessed counting their calories and counting their macros. They lose sight of what they're actually doing, where they're just trying to hit numbers and they're not thinking about nutrient density or like how happy they are with their food. Um, Social life starts to take a hit. So it can really go south quite quickly when you uh, start macro counting, which is why apps like MyFitnessPal can actually be really detrimental. And there's a whole world of kind of disordered eating problems with MyFitnessPal. So we always try and like simplify it for the client and say, look, you don't need to get too stressed about this. We can work with this just by doing descriptive for now. And we've actually just launched our app, which will help our clients do that even better. So we let them describe, like type in a description box, but also take a picture of their meal. And so we get to see that food diary coming in live and the picture, you know, you can't hide from a picture. We can see what color is there, we can see the portion size, we can see where they're having it, all of those things then play into manipulating someone's lifestyle and getting that long term kind of behavior change with them.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's super interesting. Is there kind of like a, a hierarchy when it comes to the things, when someone comes in with those goals? Is there like a hierarchy saying this is the first thing, the most important, what's next, What next, what's next?
1: Yeah, that, there, there definitely is. And, you know, if we go down the route of, okay, generally, most people want to lose weight, and it wouldn't be a bad idea if most people male and female female put on some muscle mass then there are definitely some priorities so we kind of boil that down to their protein intake first and foremost often something which is either grossly under or (laughs) grossly over yeah (laughs) Uh, and i know you've all been there (laughs) i've
0: seen seen some people eating a ridiculous amount uh, on both ends like hardly any like i've seen people struggle to get 20 30 grams of protein and i'm like for me i'm like how (laughs) but uh, yeah, big time. And then ridiculously high ends of the spectrum and people come lead into some serious digestion issues when they do that as well.
1: Yeah, totally. And obviously taking up your caloric intake with all that protein just means there's you know, there's detriment to your carbohydrates and your fat intake. So it's not just like protein is the, the, the Mecca macro. Uh, it's actually that you need that. You do need to get a blend of them all properly. So We will manage protein intake and we'll go with the grams per kilo somewhere between one and like 2.5. But we typically don't put anyone much higher than that uh, because it usually then impacts their, their calories and their carb needs, for example. But getting that right, showing them the type of sources that would be preferable. Making sure that they know that there is still a wide range, even though it's still a limited list, there's still a wide range of options and it doesn't have to be chicken, rice and broccoli all the time. So, you know, showing them all the fish options, looking at whether they might need a whey protein powder or not, looking at um, eggs and dairy um, and, and all the other variants of the white meat, you know, chicken, turkey, chicken sausages. There is actually a lot for people to go for but i think people do often get stuck particularly with protein and they just kind of get it in their head that that is what they're comfortable with so they'll repeat mm-hmm. but long term obviously you want to have you know as much scope as you can with the options so definitely protein intake and if if there was one thing that i would then get start to people uh, get people to start tracking it would be their protein so trying to get them familiar with the grams in certain portions and saying look try and get this at breakfast lunch and dinner if you need a full snack to hit your number that you know make it protein based it does work kind of prioritizing that and then and then we'd move on to carbohydrates so um the world of carbohydrates where do we start so really it's about the amount first of all right so um making sure that they're not having too much, but also not having too little because people can go chronically low and then run into problems with energy availability, with, um, low immune systems with poor performance in the gym and turning up for exercise. So we make sure they're having enough and then obviously make sure that they're not getting too uh, having too much. So it's carb cycling and it's got loads of different names, you know, low carb, high carb, um, we, we cycle someone's carbohydrates. So we manipulate it through the week, generally depending on what they're doing. So I assume while well, you're very familiar with this, you know, you'll load up before your training. If you feel like it's going to be a heavy session, I think mm-hmm. I've seen your, um, rice crispy squares and cereal. And yep. <laughs> that's like your routine of getting your carbs in. Um, so that's what we essentially do with that. And then we'll just try and, you know, remind them that fruit and vegetables are carbohydrate as well. And I think a lot of people
0: forget that. Yeah, for sure. I think um, like the fruits and veg is one that I definitely like my clients to track because they, people like, it sounds so cliche. My mum used to tell me to eat your five a day, but I think everyone forgets it, especially now day and age where it's like, ah, oh, I had steak and chips. I had this and that people go, ah, oh, not steak, chips, and veg. Like people forget the veg. And I think just by doing that, it all comes back to that consistency and that adherence. And I think just by even think about food volume and, getting more fruits and vegetables in, you automatically fill a hell of a lot fuller, which then helps with your consistency. And consistency is what gets your results at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, the, the five a day is a funny one because people think five is the target, but actually it's five yeah. minimum. So I'm actually pushing people to get five to 10 portions a day. And when that sinks in for people, they realize like, gosh, now I really do need to eat more um, than I was, or then I, than I think I was, but that's really where the nutrient density is as well. So vitamins and minerals, fiber, the water, that's all in that colorful fruit and veg. And when you do simplify it to the kind of chicken, broccoli and rice, you're really limiting yourself to options there. So you're going to run into problems with deficiencies. You're probably going to get ill a bit more. Um, you're going to get run down. You're not going to sleep as well, and you're not going to recover as quickly. So, It might seem boring and as you say, we've all we've all had it drawn into us since we were young. Eat your veg, eat your fruit. Um, and so it's still a thing. It's still a thing. And I'm still telling loads of adults to do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Have you got any like good like top tips on people who do struggle to get that in?
1: Yeah, I think start at breakfast is the best thing you can do. So don't save it. A lot of people save it for dinner, where most of their veg intake is. But if you think, okay, you've got your opportunity at breakfast and at lunch and possibly then a snack, that's why you can start hitting 10 portions a day. Mm -hmm. So if it's a cooked breakfast, you can think about what vegetables go in easily into the morning time. So if it's egg-based, you can look at using spinach, pepper, corn, peas, um, broccoli even mushrooms tomato that all is fairly normal to be in a breakfast and then when it comes to lunch moving away from uh, the sandwiches or the bread things, where you can only put a limited amount of that stuff but moving more towards a vegetable based lunch so use the vegetables as your carbohydrate and as the base of your lunch with your protein along with that then your numbers will start flying up um, appreciate that takes a bit more effort but actually if you are buying things in in town now and in shops there's a lot more Options available in that department, so you can find vegetable-based things, um, and so that you can actually tick that box wherever you are. Yeah, for sure. It's just about being
0: mindful and just realizing. So I think it comes back to what you said to the start with. Like, write down what your kind of daily intake is looking like. St- take a step back, be objective about it. Where can I improve? And then just it's making those small little one percenter kind of decisions as you kind of move through. Um, moving kind of on from that, but still touching on it, what would you say is the kind of biggest difference between like a someone who's pure general population someone who's like an athlete and then someone who is kind of mainly driving for body composition changes what's the difference between their diets and what the recommendations there
1: yeah good question uh so there are some differences but it's mainly around like nutrient timing so when they're having stuff and obviously the amounts um but fundamentally they're going to be eating the same foods as each other it's just that one group the athlete group are typically a bit more focused and a bit more dedicated. So then the results will come usually a bit quicker. Um, But also they need to be, they need to be a bit more dedicated because they're stressing their body a lot more and they need that turnover to then get the results. So fundamentally it's about adopting what food um, will work for them, but it is the same food. So like if you look at both their shopping lists, they'll both be shopping the same things, but the amounts that they'll be having and when they'll be having it is where the different, Differentiation occurs. And so, you know, when I th- a few people say, you know, I'm only um, advertising to athletes, I say I'm a sports nutritionist, but everyone is really performing every day and everyone eats the same thing. So you might come in and see me, but you're running to 5K, or you might come in and see me and you're running, you know, three I MANS in three days. But fundamentally, you're going to be eating. <laughs> we'll sign Help. you up for that next year. <laughs> no, oh, God, I don't know. I don't know
0: the last There's time. A deck, I lied.
1: <laughs> there is a DECA where you do 10. Um, so, yeah, people do do that stuff.
0: That's crazy,
1: man. That's it. Yeah. Uh, but they get to eat a lot. And so, that would be where the difference is. Those guys are eating thousands of calories and their body composition is still excellent. But that's because their output is there. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if we bore that back down to someone who's fairly sedentary, maybe just getting into a bit of movement they need to much more carefully manage their calorie intake um, and what foods they're having, but it is still the same foods. Yeah.
0: That margin for error is a lot smaller, isn't it? When your output's a lot lower. Um, But yeah, it just comes down to quality quality over quantity and then just looking at at the quantities. How do you get people to gauge their quantities?
1: So it can vary really. We'll work with the individual depending on what, will work for them. So some people walk in and they're like, I already weigh on my stuff and that's normal and I'm not fussed about it. So we let them carry on and we obviously change their their amounts if that, that needs to be done. Other people have no clue whatsoever. So you can start very basically by looking at how much fits on your plate. So, a normal dinner plate is a pretty uh, standardized thing, so you can start talking about half a plate or a quarter plate, but also you can start using your hands, which is the next best thing because everyone 's got them <laughs> and well nearly. <laughs> <laughs> but But what you can do with those is you customize it so if you 're you know six foot six and um, have a high energy output you know, it 's highly likely your hands are going to be larger, so when you go for a portion of your hands it 's going to be larger than a portion of your friend who's five foot two and doesn't do that much so using your hands for those various sports so normally say like a fist size of carbohydrates when you close your fist like that you can go with a palm size of protein and then try and get it that thickness as well and then thumbs of fat so one or two thumbs of fat so you can start doing stuff like that and it you know, gradually we, we kind of evolve people into knowing a bit more detail. So within the first few sessions, they might keep it really basic, but then they might want to get into knowing the grams and like looking at packets a bit more. Um, so yeah, we just kind of go with the natural development of that person and their, and their education around it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a great tool to have, particularly if people, uh, a lot of my clients do track and people do get quite caught up in that. And as soon as they can't track, let's say they go away, they go, oh shit, what do I do? but still having the knowledge on how to look at a plate and split up the plate into halves, quarters, thirds, whatever, or use the hand sizing and things like that. I think it's a really important skill to have for when you go away or you don't have access to be able to track as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Your hands are
0: always coming with you. Hopefully anyway. (laughs) Um, Okay. Let's move on to something else, which I think would be super interesting as we have seen this with a, a number of clients. And I think it is something that could be quite common in a lot of people who do diet to some extremes, or they get super lean, and that's kind of binge eating, or people who end up emotionally eating. Like, what are some of the processes that you go through with these?
1: Yeah, it's definitely becoming uh, much more of a thing. I think stemming from perhaps bodybuilding and and uh, massive weight changes there, and getting on stage where you'd have huge restrictions, and then kind of a ticket to binge afterwards because you're not on the stage anymore. But it's crept into um Kind of a general population and and it is it is actually an eating disorder in itself, so it's called b e d binge eating disorder um so yeah, knowing about the warning signs is a big deal so um we're we're constantly posting about beat b e a t so they are a, a charity which is about beating eating disorders, and they have loads of free resources on their website for all of the types of eating disorders, but in particular with um binge eating there's quite there's quite a lot of research which says that self-help guides on that are really really helpful and uh, have quite good um, results with that so they there's a few links on there which perhaps we could put in the show notes and stuff so people can actually find that really easily and uh, not that I'm specialized in eating disorders but We kind of pick up on the signs of that. So we get taught to pick up on the signs, warning signs, but also like obvious signs that something is already happening. That's where the conversation with someone is really important when they're sat with us for 40 minutes, you know, we get to know them, we get the honesty from them and obviously send them in the right direction. So Best practice for us is to send them to their GP to notify them to say, look, I think I've got an eating disorder. The GP can then get it on record and make sure that they're down on the right paths for the psychological support and any other support they might need. And we might, you know, play a bit of a part of that cog of support with that person, but we certainly can't be the sole support for that person. So, knowing that, you know, there's warning signs to pick up on, you know, um, dashing to the loo after meals. uh, or eating too much well binge eating disorder should I say is when you eat too much in one session so it's I think the textbook is something like when you have over 2000 calories within a certain amount of minutes that's the classification mm-hmm. it can come hand in hand with purging so with making yourself sick and bulimia uh, so there's a lot of crossover there so if there's any warning signs along that, then the best thing to do is to obviously talk to someone, try and get the notes formally done with your GP so that they can get you on the right path and find that support. Um, but yeah, so CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy and self-help guides, um, guidance stuff, which you can do online has been shown to be really effective for, for that. So yeah, we'll put some notes up and make sure that people know that if there is a resource they can they can get into that.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's massively important for people to know. Like, I think a lot of people like hear these buzzwords like binge eating going around. And then a lot of people most question themselves if, oh, am I showing signs of this? Or they might think I might be dealing with this, but a lot of people don't know how to deal with it. So I think having something in those notes where people can go and get some information but without necessarily having to go straight to a practitioner because I think it could be quite daunting for a lot of people to go straight to a practitioner and go, "Ah, oh, I think I might be dealing with this. Whereas if they can go get some good information about it, hopefully that will help people to go and see a practitioner that kind of stepping stone in the middle. Yeah. Um, for sure. Um, let's kind of move on to honestly, I think this is one of the most commonly question asked like questions that I get as a personal trainer and I always just deflect it and say, have you got this, this, and this in place? And it's just all about supplements. What are the most important supplements and why? For me, honestly, I don't, I don't even get any of my clients to take anything until they've got like energy balance aligned protein intake. In my eyes, they're called a supplement for a reason. They really do supplement your diet. Um, but it'd be very interesting to hear, well, one, your take on that, and two, what are the different supplements that you do recommend and why?
1: Yeah, it certainly is still... buzzword and a hot topic and options are still growing and growing and growing and there's new things on the shelves all the time there's also the huge world of like instagram adverts and um, endorsements and um all of that which can be so misleading and and actually the asa the advertising standard agency are really good at picking up on particularly on supplement stuff so there's some really funny cases that get published about things that had to be taken down and people were misleading, but so, you know, rightly so like we're being misled because we think that that is a reliable source. So certainly on the whole, you're right. Like people shouldn't need a supplement. The word is supplement for a reason is meant to be on top of your general intake. If you're thinking of it like a pyramid, it's the pinnacle. It's like the last thing you should be doing. um, That could potentially bring you those marginal gains. Uh, But for the most part, people don't necessarily need that. You know, if you're talking about Olympic standard, maybe Commonwealth standards, yes, uh, bringing it down to like Island Games and local athletes, you can have them, but you could probably do pretty well still without them. So I wouldn't worry too much, Mm -hmm. particularly with the world of supplements being so, uh, what's the word, Uh, contaminated (laughs) and dodgy. So much untested stuff out there that people just
0: go and buy. But whenever I buy something, I'm trying People try and look for the cheapest supplement out there. Like at the end of the day, you're getting what you pay for. And if you're putting stuff into your body, like pay money, get good supplements, get tested ones. Um, yeah, you're right.
1: So, yeah, so we, we all get taught, and you'll know it because you've been in um, you know, your rugby talks, buy informed sport batch tested supplements. So these are companies which are paying extra to have their supplements screened for contaminants they then get the seal of approval and then that's on the shelf so it's a bit more reassuring when someone does that yeah it might be a couple of quid more but i mean i'd definitely recommend that you do it because it's so easy for any old joe to put uh, something in a tub slap a label on it and sell it the supplement industry is not well regulated Um, so yeah, if you can buy quality ones, definitely do that first and you can actually go on Inform sport and see, you know, some companies have some of their products batch tested, but it's not all their products. And then there's other companies on there, which will really surprise you, which, um, have everything done. And then there's other huge, huge companies and names that you will know that just don't have anything batch tested. So it can be, um, a little bit dodgy depending on where you get it from. Um, so yeah, that's the first thing is, do you really need them? and uh, what do you need them for so for general population generally you're okay uh but then when you get into the athlete world and you're pushing things a bit further you want perhaps more turnover with your training or you're training twice a day um or you're looking to recover faster or you do want to hit the high levels of competition then there are a handful so you're probably really familiar with these and hopefully you tell me you're um in and around these kind of ideas so the most obvious one is a protein powder So whey protein in particular, with its high leucine content, you can obviously now get a whole host of protein powders. So you can get pea, you can get hemp, you can get soya. Typically, they're all gonna do the same thing. They're gonna give you a very easy lump of protein in a liquid form. that will give you 20 to 30 grams is usually what you're trying to aim for from, from one, uh, hit of that. And the idea is that you're giving yourself easy protein for your muscles to stimulate muscle protein synthesis so that they can then get that turnover repair and build. Um, okay. If you're eating enough protein there, if you have an extra chicken breast, which might be 25 grams of protein, then you don't need the the whey protein powder. So that's where we try and make the exchanges straight away. Like, rather than jumping in on the, on the isolate, which might tear your gut up a bit, might give you more gas and bloating. We've all been sad in the changing room. And <laughs> it's horrible. Um, because not everyone reacts well to these things. And yeah, there's people trying pea stuff and hemp stuff, um, but often that can be worse, actually. So um, if someone really wants something, I'd say, look, buy a small tub, buy a single serve, see how you react. If we're causing gut inflammation and giving you more uh, like gas and bloating then it's definitely not something we're going to do because you won't get that if you have a portion of fish or a glass of milk or a a chicken breast Mm. um so yeah whey protein is probably the the easiest the most obvious one to think about
0: on the on the whey protein i always say to our clients i i think they should literally be used for two reasons one number one is that you really 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 struggle to get your protein intake up Um, but along with that, obviously it shouldn't take up the majority of your protein. It's there to just top things up if you really are struggling. And then also like I use it in the mornings for convenience because for me, I'm up early. I have clients. I don't necessarily want at 5am to make scrambled eggs or something like that. So I just have a shake then, but then I make sure I don't have three other shakes throughout the day. I'll just have it because it's convenient for me to have them, but I'm not having it post-workout as well or something like that. So just to top things up and for convenience, that's the two main reasons that I like to use it.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that completely. The, the next one that comes with that quite closely is creatine. So creatine monohydrate in particular is the best compound you can get. And that's a, a white powder, uh, very, very well researched, has loads of backing behind it so that it works. So we have a bit of creatine in our body that we can uh, kind of hyperdose ourselves. And usually it's a very small dose, five grams a day can be in the drink can be in your protein powder but you can have it as a standalone product mm-hmm. and that is really helpful so have you had experience with that as well
0: yeah i love creatine I t- i've taken creatine for, for years um and one of the mistakes i made was getting kind of caught up in the whole loading it thing and you just don't need to load it i, I found when i load it that's when i got lots of stomach issues and bloating and things like that And it really didn't settle well with me but as long as i stick to five grams a day i'm absolutely yeah. fine and i noticed a big difference when i first started taking obviously as you kind of used to it you don't necessarily feel the difference but you definitely there is obviously so much science behind it but i 100% recommend creatine personally i yeah. really really do rate it And Re- it's so, really so nice and safe as well
1: yeah affordable safe easy to take and generally people feel the results which is quite nice with the product mm-hmm. um to have that. So yeah, yeah, a really, a really good one. And again, just try and find a good quality product with it if you are going to get involved with it. But with the caveat that you might put on one to two kilos of water weight. Um, so bear that in mind if you're, if you are looking at the scales and watching that happen, but that will obviously go when you come off the creatine. Um, so the next couple I've got on the list as kind of performance supplements would be caffeine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, really nice and easy. And, uh, Again, massively, massively researched. It's got years and years of, of evidence based behind it to say that it works. And it works in a few ways. So it's, it obviously makes you more alert, it switches you on, but it also agitates your muscle fibers and causes, um, and dampens the pain uh, signals from your muscles to your brain. So particularly in lifting, it's obviously used as quite a good pre-workout, but also an endurance sport and kind of um, multi-stage uh, events you can use creatine quite effectively for all those reasons so you probably get it in your pre workout do you drink uh, yeah. caffeine drinks
0: yeah i do so i i i kind of cycle mine because i'm so sensitive to caffeine if i overdo it my sleep quality just drops off massively so as i go through my block of training i'll start with like not non-stim pre-workouts because i know we're going to get into beta alanine and things then as i get further through training gets harder and more intense i will introduce kind of some energy drinks or or kind of pre workouts and things like that, but I have to be quite um, sensible with mine because I am so sensitive to it. But when you do take it, especially if you do that, if when you do take it, you notice such a big effect from it as well because you do build up a tolerance to it as well. Um, but yeah, everyone loves caffeine.
1: <laughs> yeah, you gotta love it. it. It is sleep though. That'll be one of the main things that gets impacted. So, be aware of the time you're having it. You know, preferably for the morning sessions or, or maybe early afternoon. But we, it's not worth it. I was trying to say it's not worth it if it's impacting your sleep because your sleep should. Um, take priority there so just bear that in mind and also dosing is important as well so i'm not sure how much is in your drinks but you can do it on grams per kilo so it's um will be micrograms so it'll be anywhere between one to three micrograms per kilo is standard dose so uh, if you want to shoot right in the middle there at two grams two micrograms per kilo um you can then start looking at how much is in products and where you want to get that from so We've got caffeine gum here in the clinic, which goes down a storm with people, hundred micrograms nice. of gum. People are taking it pre-run. They're taking it on a run or like on their bike, a really nice, easy thing to have. But obviously you can drink your caffeine and um, you can get it in powders. I've never heard of the caffeine gum. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a good product. It's a really good, go. good product. Um, yeah.
0: I think that's interesting. People looking at the doses because a lot of pre-workouts are kind of f- between three and 400 milligrams which is crazy high no wonder people are running into like one crashing after workouts and 2 then not being able to sleep and then it just ends up with that knock-on effect especially if people are maybe having a coffee in the morning two coffees or something like that and then a pre-workout like caffeine's got a rough half-life of six hours so you can end up just going literally 24 hours that caffeine's not even out your system and then you're having more and it's just a knock-on effect um, definitely yeah yeah, I think yeah everyone, so that's
1: yeah well we we obviously notice it more like if we overdose someone who's on a bike for example doing a triathlon and they're wobbling on the handlebars like (laughs) that's why we want to get the dose right because we don't want them crashing
0: Mm. do you ever cycle people completely off of caffeine
1: yeah definitely so um i mean we've had people who come in and they're having you know 10 espressos a day and uh working too many hours and training too many hours as well so there's a bit of like okay let's just take it down to a bit of a baseline level and see then how you react to more normal levels. Um, but uh, for, for kind of placebo effects as well, it's good when you take someone off it pre-event and then give it to them for the event as well. So the research is that it, you know, you, you're still fine to have it all the time and it'll still work, but certainly that placebo effect of, of giving it someone on the day of the event is really good. Yeah, i
0: can imagine what i found really effective with my own training is whenever i whenever i run a deload that's when i just would take any caffeine out and go complete like cold turkey for a week and uh I, my sleep quality obviously goes up a bit as well which helps recovery even more i've found that super super effective um are there any other t- uh, supplements you would like to touch on
1: so yeah beta alanine again has some good research behind it so can be a bit more of a standardized um Uh, recommendation so typically will come as a bit of a combination with a caffeine product rather than a standalone one but you can buy it as a standalone one and again just helps with uh, the energy systems (laughs) yeah 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 actually we should talk about taste all these things (laughs) you've got to put up with a bit of stuff this isn't all glamorous kind of like you know super tasty stuff but it does work and that's what we like about it we it works and it's safe and well researched so that's what fundamentally we want to get from a supplement. So yeah, beta-aniline will help with the energy systems. Um, it's an amino acid. So, um, helps down, helps with the breakdown of carnosine, um, and can therefore have the, that knock on effect. So another quite useful one. And then I've just got some general health supplements as well, which we could talk about. So, yeah, hundred um, percent. Omega three is the first. Mm-hmm. So again, pretty kind of easy to do a blanket recommendation, one gram a day of, of high quality, Omega three. So that's a polyunsaturated fatty acid that's anti-inflammatory. We get a bit of it in our food, particularly in our oily fish, but typically what we see is people aren't eating enough of that. So it's not, um, odd to kind of standardize a, a recommendation for a supplement there. And it's usually the kind of one gram, uh, capsules there, which are like the size of a bean. I've so, taken,
0: taken Omega three since I was literally like five years old. My parents have me taking I I don't, I don't like fish so i there just supplemented it for literally well i was like tw- just over 20 years now literally literally every single day don't even think about it
1: that's incredible is yeah. it a capsule or is it like a, a spoon of it
0: i had the spoon the spoons when i was a kid but now i've got the capsules because the spoons. <laughs> some of them taste they are they are bad <laughs>
1: it's fish oil you know yeah, it's, exactly. it's great. <laughs> you don't want to be uh, chewing those capsules um but yeah, really useful one, and there are veggie and vegan alternatives now, uh, so people can still get that um, fatty acid, but without um, having an animal product, so they are available. And the next one's vitamin D, which has had loads of press this year, actually, because of the coronavirus, so um, really helpful for the immune system, uh, but also really helpful for calcium uptake for bones, so particularly for female athletes, we wanna make sure that their bones uh, are well looked after. And is is gov guidelines for everyone in the winter in the UK to be having vitamin D. Okay. So um, definitely look at a vitamin D supplement. The dosage can vary. So we have a pretty standard dose in the clinic, which is a thousand IUs, which is one tablet per day, which isn't wild for, for people to take every day, particularly through the winter. Uh, but you can dose up to four thousand IUs, so it's international units. You can have dose of ten thousand, but it because it's a fat-soluble vitamin, you don't want to be Uh, mucking around with having too much because you can get toxic in it so we generally are giving people 1000 IUs per day through the winter particularly the athletes but you know you've got to remember people work inside all the time Um, even in the summer people are working inside not getting enough sunlight so it wouldn't be wild if people were having some vitamin D supplements in the summer as well so useful one and then I've also written B complex down and just because that plays a role in the breakdown of carbohydrate and obviously then allowing essentially more energy into the body or giving yourself more energy through that, that breakdown. So we'd like to make sure that people's B complex, um, is either completely sorted through their diet or we just top them up, uh, with a B complex, um, supplement to, to, make sure that that job is done.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think supplements is such an interesting topic. Is there any, um, good places that people can find information about stuff or good brands that you really recommend?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So, well, there's a few interesting websites. So the first one, if you go on Inform Sport, you'll see the companies on there who are getting their stuff batch tested uh, and who isn't. Um, You can then go on somewhere like Labdoor, which has become more and more popular where you can see uh, they're independently testing things and rating things. So that's quite an interesting one that we often take a peek at um examine.com is another website which is independent and they have all the research so they'll give you a summary and then all the research papers underneath so really really nice um kind of summary there I'm trying I really to rate, I else, really there's anywhere else examine examine yeah.
0: great for just kind of making a lot of complicated stuff look look simple as well if you're somebody who doesn't necessarily understand the ins and the outs of it examine's brilliant
1: yeah, they, they've done a super good job there. And even, even for us as practitioners, it saves us doing like a whole heap of kind of research and we can go to, um, reliable resources, and also then just click straight through to the research papers behind it. So you're not just like looking at a blog, you know, you're looking at somewhere <laughs> legitimate, which is obviously fairly crucial. Um, Yeah. And and any others, I would just say always just check with a practitioner. Don't just like click and buy it because you've seen a before and after shot on Instagram, like actually just check because some things can be really dangerous. Obviously we've had all the like diet pills and fat burning pills kill people and cause loads of health problems. So always check with someone before uh, with a registered practitioner before you just start, um, yeah, tropping something.
0: Yeah. There's, there's some serious horror stories out there about things. Like there's a pre-workout that's been, Banned because someone was having heart attacks off them and stuff like that. So I think it's just there you go. yeah, take a step back, be objective. Like, there's enough people out there. Like, I'm sure you'd be happy to, for people to reach out to you and say, "Hey, I've seen this. What what do you think?" Like, oh, just don't definitely. don't be, don't be afraid to message people about stuff.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Please don't be afraid to. Do that. I'd much rather help you and flick back a message than hear that someone's you know killed over in the gym.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. There's some inter- horrible stories out there, Um, Another interesting topic, topic I think would be good to speak about would be just kind of a lot of the different diets that are out there and are being like um, very like publicized now. The kind of going a lot more plant based, the carnivore diets, going keto, all these different things. The kind of buzzwords. What's your kind of thoughts on them, and what's your approach that you like to take?
1: That's a good question. Yeah, so we are constantly taking all this information in and whatever the like general population are doing out there, whatever's hot on Instagram, whatever's flavor of the month, we've got to make sure, you know, we we're critical about that and we tear it down, see what the bare bones of it is. So the plant-based stuff is fair. I think, you know, there's a lot of environmental backing behind that and people eating more plants. Absolutely fair enough. You know, we've watched the Netflix documentary with Attenborough. It is, um, yeah, pretty soul destroying and really makes you think about what you're doing. So I think from an environmental perspective, obviously having more plants is absolutely fine. So I just don't want people to think that plant-based means you have to have everything plants. Um, Obviously vegan is everything plants and that is, again, absolutely fine to do, but you do start losing things nutritionally and it becomes a lot harder work to achieve, say, your protein or your vitamin intake. Um, So it's fine to do, but it does need some careful consideration. Um, other ones like the keto diet, um, are a bit more hard work because people are testing their bodies a lot more. They're trying to become ketogenic. I'm not really sure that anyone is really nailing it and actually becoming ketogenic. I think generally they're just becoming low carb eaters and they've taken out their starchy carbs. The keto people that I come in and have said, oh, i keto are still eating fruit and veg and I'm like, well you weren't really keto then because you've had too much carbohydrate. So I think on the whole, like if we look at what the general public doing with that, they're actually just reducing their carbohydrate intake, which is fine. What worries me is when people start having too many saturated fats and that high fat content with the keto comes with that. So you're going to be having more meat, more bacon, more steaks, more eggs. Um, to get that number but that is not good for you in itself so although you might be bringing your calories down and seeing weight loss um, your makeup of what you're actually putting into your body more saturated fats more cholesterol isn't very good for you there's a bit of a worry with that as well but of course with all of these it's like what well, you know what do you want to achieve if it's if it's weight loss and muscle gain then you, you really don't need to over complicate it And you can have, as I was saying, like the same shopping list as the guy next to you, but you might be having things in slightly different quantities um, and timings to get the goals that you need. So I I just don't think it's, it'll never go away. There's been diets, you know, since the 1600s and there's some quite hilarious ones like, you know, eating a a, uh, stomach, like a tapeworm to like eat your calories for you. That's kind of where it all began. And so now we're at the now we're at the point where people are doing like wild things and like cutting things out, intermittent fasting, not eating for days, water only diets. I just want people to calm down and just like it's a lot more simple than that. So you don't feel like you need to do anything extreme.
0: Yeah. My thing that I say to people when come, people come to me and say about those things, I'm like, just take, take a step back and be objective about this. Does that sound good? Like, just complete, <laughs> like we've had carbohydrates in our diet for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, and thousands of years. There's a reason they've been there. Just, just completely eliminating. Does that sound good? Does that sound healthy? For me, I think it's just all of these different things come, come up and there's benefits from everything. But what does it come back to? And it's everything we've just kind of spoken about. Is there's everything in moderation and just including as much variety as you can? Big time. I just think the more variety you can allow yourself, that allows you to stay more consistent. And what does consistency get? Consistency eventually gets you the result that you want to.
1: yeah bang on and and with all of those diets and that's just a handful that we mentioned there's a hundred more people see that as such a temporary fix and that's what worries me as well as they'll they'll kind of blast it whatever it is good or bad for a short period of time and then they'll move on and usually that leads to the yo-yo the weight loss the weight gain the weight loss the weight gain which is much unhealthier for you so yeah if we're fine if you're finding your normality then really i'm asking people you know would you be doing this in five years and that's where we're trying to get people's uh, diets to be. Yeah.
0: That's the thing. Look at that bigger picture. I think it's so easy to get caught at, caught, in it, caught in it at the moment, but take that step back, look at the bigger picture, ask yourself that question. Can you see yourself doing this in five years? I guarantee yeah. 90% <laughs> of people say no, especially <laughs> if you are buying into some, some of those kind of diets, as we'll call them. Um, yeah. Let's kind of slowly wrap things up. And I just want some, some, all of the listeners to have a little bit of a takeaway. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see on a regular occasion in clinic and how do you go about fixing them let's just go with three three
1: takeaways sure so um not tracking anything is the first thing so coming in and kind of saying oh i eat really well um and i you know i've got a perfect diet and maybe giving me a recall of what they're doing but there's zero chance that that's happening so if they were to track even before they were coming in they would see honestly what's going on without even sharing that with anyone so tracking is is important. Um, consistency is the next thing. So, again, with the fads, it's a temporary thing. People do well for a short amount of time and then they fall off it. But you and I both know, in the training world and the nutrition world, the the longer you can carry on doing something, the more stable it's going to be and the better the results are. So finding that consistency, working it into your lifestyle to make sure that it becomes part of that is also what we want to achieve. And then accountability. So we know that people pay us to be accountable um, and we're on top of them. We're um, messaging them, we're checking in with them, we're getting their feedback. We're making sure that we're looking over their shoulder and, and giving them that guidance. So accountability is important and that's why obviously we have a job. Uh, but um, it, is, it is super, super important for actually getting results and making sure that they stick long-term.
0: Hundred percent. Accountability is literally everything. Without accountability, you're not going to get anywhere. Like it takes a very special type of person to be able to keep themselves accountable consistently over time, um, for sure. And um, one other thing that I just kind of thought about, which would be interesting to hear, as a lot of people are so consumed in tracking and um, my fitness panel things at the moment, how do you go about getting people away from tracking?
1: Yeah. Um it can be tricky I if someone's quite that one. <laughs> yeah no it's fine well we did we take it case by case It depends how invested that person is on on that platform so um if they want to carry on but we would gradually kind of wean them off we would put deadlines in and we would say look we'll do this for a little bit longer we would start having days or weeks where they don't track um, and start bringing in new foods particularly if someone is quite repetitive with the meals they're having we would also offer the other options that they can do which is like meal pictures or uh, descriptions which is a lot more low-key and a lot less stress but it's you know if it's that disordered and someone actually has perhaps a diagnosable eating disorder then it will take months maybe years for them to really move away from that unfortunately Uh, with nutrition the numbers can stick in someone's head and even though they might not be tracking they'll still be looking at their plate and looking at their packets and calculating everything up as they go anyway so it's a very very long-term process one of the main goals we want to obviously achieve is to delete the app off their phone and that's a a really big deal for a lot of people so um, again if it's that disordered hopefully they're getting that psychological support they've got um like community support and family support but also perhaps support from from you or I um, and all that encouragement as well.
0: Yeah for sure I think it's a very interesting thing because I think the further and further people get down the, we'll call it kind of like a rabbit hole, um, some people can almost not know how to get back out of it, people start tracking and think oh that's it I've got to track for the rest of my life but there is a, a way out of it and you, the long term goal I don't think is to be tracking forever, it's Absolutely. to get out of this and yeah. be able to auto-regulate your nutrition
1: definitely and that's where we've got to ingrain it in someone so that they enjoy that food and they want to have that food but they're not stressed about it and they're also not stressed when it changes a bit because they know they can uh you know turn the dial um when they need to so yeah absolutely sure
0: and then the last kind of question i wanted to ask is i know nutrition is becoming such a big thing with so many people is what's the best way people can go and learn more about nutrition or if someone is interested in maybe potentially becoming a nutritionist eventually when they grow up or something like what's the best routes you'd recommend
1: um best thing to do is do it through a reliable source so there's there's loads of like weekend courses online which are gonna basically take your money for nothing and you don't really get any accreditation with those so you're gonna do it and uh, then have nothing to really show for it. So the route that I took through university and then doing a master's degree meant that I could register. So I registered with the British Dietetic Association, and that's kind of the pinnacle of where you want to get to. You want to be a registered practitioner. So again, you know, I'm accountable. I do my CPD. I'm part of a massive group, um, and we all are on the same page. If you start going down the B lines of, oh, I've done a six-week course with that random group online or i bought that from quids in for 29.99 you're actually just wasting your money so you don't know who's made that course and who's put that content out there um so going somewhere reliable like universities do do courses online and you can do modules online and sometimes those are free um so going on somewhere like future learn you can actually get free modules in nutrition from some universities um so that would be a place you know to go if you wanted to just like you know, top up your your knowledge base but if you wanted to get qualified really you have to go through a university um route to get to get registered and become accredited
0: Amazing. Honestly, I think there's some, uh, been some brilliant takeaways for everyone there. I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on. And then, is there? Do you want to just let the, everyone know um, where they could find you or reach out to you?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. This has been great, and we could have talked for hours and hours about what yeah. stuff so maybe we'll have to do around too. Uh, but yeah, if people want a message and or or come and see us at the clinic. Um, so just get on to truefood.je. That's the website, and we're on all social media platforms as True Food Sport Nutrition. Um, So give us a follow. We're putting loads of cool information on there, helpful information. um, And hopefully you guys enjoy that and hopefully I hear from you soon.
0: Yeah, perfect. Thank you very much, mate. Catch you later, guys.